0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello everyone and welcome to Technique, the podcast where we talk to artists about how they use technology. I'm Sam Fry and today we're talking to an artist very much about technology. In fact, if you're an artist that are interested in starting to look at coding and how you might use that for your own artistic practice, then this is the podcast for you. So you might be wondering, who is this artist? Well, I'll reveal that in just a second. Today we're talking to the wonderful Matthias Dorfelt. Here he is.
1: Hi, my name is Matthias Dorfeld, and I'm a media artist living and working in Los Angeles.
0: So as Matthias says, he's based in Los Angeles, but originally comes from Hamburg in Germany. He actually started life with an interest in illustration, but now does a variety of different things, from drawing to prints to animation, videos and interactive installations. And part of the reason I spoke to him for this episode is because he won a Lumen Prize, a large digital art prize for his work with blockchain, creating a piece of work called Block Bills. We talk a little bit about that in this episode, about how he got started in creative coding. And as I mentioned at the beginning, if you're an artist and you're interested in getting into coding, this is quite a good episode for learning how he got started and some of the programming software that he used. So over to my interview with Matthias, which in this episode I conducted over Skype, from my home in London to his in Los Angeles.
1: So I always had like this dual interest in making art and making things by hand and technology at the same time. But after finishing high school, I just wanted to go to art school to kind of like do, to basically get a kind of like traditional design education. So at that, around that point, I intended to become an illustrator, if I recall correctly. So, you know, drawing is still like an important part of my art practice so it's kind of interesting how that continued nonetheless but around the same time so I think during my first years in undergrad I went to some design conferences around Europe where I saw a lot of the early work that was done in processing and similar kind of like coding environments that were kind of like hinting at the end of Flash so Flash had been around since like a while at that point. But I never really, Flash never really did it for me. So I was really excited to see the possibilities of actually using, I guess, more down-to-the-core style uh, programming environments that are um, meant for creative people. And after seeing that, it it almost pulled me in. So I didn't, I, I just like started looking at things, started trying to code simple ideas that I had. And just, I literally just got better by by creating projects and that's how I ended up learning becoming like a pretty decent coder.
0: Where did you start with that? Were there particular coding <clears throat> languages or applications that drew you in and that you started playing around with to begin with?
1: Yeah, so the the first as I briefly mentioned was processing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but processing has been around since I think the early 2000s. Um, It's like a Java-based programming environment for creative coding created by Casey Reese and Ben Fry at the MIT Media Lab. And that was kind of like the first thing that I used to learn coding in a way. So I had some a little bit of coding experience uh, just from toying around with PHP, JavaScript, and Flash before, but it definitely wasn't deep or good at that point. And then I think a couple of years, like maybe one or two years later, I started digging a little bit into open frameworks, which had a very similar approach, but was C++-based. And by similar approach, I mean that it was kind of like made by artists for other artists. So in a lot of ways, try to simplify common operations that you need if you want to make an application that draws visuals or things like that.
0: It about those platforms that drew you in were you still coding were you writing code was there kind of an interface or something that made it a little no. bit more accessible or is it essentially diving into the deep end
1: it's kind of diving into the deep end uh, i guess processing is a little bit different because it, it is like it's self-contained ide and compiler so you don't have to worry about setting up any of the java infrastructure you just download it and hit a play button and it will just run. So I think that that's kind of like usually the highest barrier to entry with like, or at least back in the day. These days it's a lot easier since you can almost do anything on the web. But having to just like bundle, compile, and kind of like... get your the infrastructure running to actually create an application was kind of like or still is tricky but processing d- did a did a really good job of making that easier and still does yeah so it's still around mm-hmm. and the, the coding is definitely a lot easier too though because it kind of like tries to make the writing of the code a little bit more easier so it provides like simple functions to draw certain primitives text etc so you have you have like a very high level approach to all these uh, things Things that if you start fully from scratch, take a lot of boilerplate to set up. So, just one example: if you wanted to build an OpenGL-based application, you usually need to manage like some sort of rendering context, and you have like all this extra logic that is required just to even draw like a triangle onto your screen. Processing just did a good job of basically doing all of that for you in the background so you literally could just focus on drawing things to screen or playing audio or whatever it is that you wanted to get out of your application. And in that sense it basically took away a lot of the scary things that non-computer science people are put off by or scared away.
0: Essentially, being interested in illustration. Mm -hmm. Who who was helping you on the journey, or was it kind of you on your own at a computer trying to find your way through?
1: Yeah, I think in practice it was a lot of the time me just trying to figure things out on my own in terms of just like the hands on programming experience. But I, I certainly had like work that I found inspiring at the time, so I guess it was like maybe. 10, 12 years, well, more like 12, 13 years ago at this point, audio reactive videos were like a super big thing at the time where you would have like audio input and then generate visuals according to audio. So that was something that was really fascinating to me at the time. So I think one thing I understood very early on was like the generative potential of being able to express drawings or almost anything you want through rules and hence computer code. So that was just like the idea of writing rules and then something is or your program is able to basically make like a almost infinite amount of unique iterations of that core idea was definitely something that I think I realized quite early on and also um, one of the driving things that kept me interested. After graduating undergrad, I did a lot of like corporate style, freelance, large-scale installation kind of work. And I was kind of like thinking whether that would be my future at the point, at that point in time. When I came to UCLA, so I came to Los Angeles to study at UCLA to get my MFA here. During the first quarter, I kind of like did a project called the Weird Faces, which was actually done in like the, so you, as a grad student at the design media arts program that I did, you had to take a class that kind of like teaches you the basics of programming. And I, I mean, for me, that wasn't super relevant. But at the time, Jörg Leni, who is the creator of JS and was teaching as a guest professor, was teaching that class. So that's kind of like how I learned about Paper.js. And in a lot of ways, that was kind of like when it fully clicked to me, because Paper.js is almost like a fully scriptable illustrator. So all the concepts from that you know from vector creation programs, such as Adobe Illustrator, basically that's what Paper.js does in like a fully scriptable way. So that's when I was like, wow, this is kind of like drawing, you know, that's kind of when it clicked to me, like going back to my hand-drawn illustrations that I made, like just like freshly out of high school, kind of in the way that I realized I can do very similar things purely from code. Yeah. So the first project I made in that regard was probably the weird faces, which was like these hand-drawn doodles that I tried to program in a similar way to what my hand-drawn doodles of faces would look like. First of all, the success of that project, you know, it was like a side project for one class, but it got like during the final critique of that quarter, like people were ma- way more excited about that than the actual kind of like media art style project that I did, which was like this weird audio box. I don't know, it, it, it's not worth it to explain it right now, but it was, people didn't like that one as much. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> And, and that's kind of, like, how I felt about it um, as well. So I was, like, way more excited about, like, this simple... Well, simple is over-exaggerated, but, like, just sitting down and t- approaching coding, almost like I would approach drawing. That was, like, the initial project, I would say, in that direction. And that was 2012, actually.
0: Is the next thing that you went on to do that that website called It's Doing It, where a number of images were created over... A number of days is that the next thing that you went on to do
1: I mean it probably wasn't the direct next thing but it's one of the first project after uh, graduating from UCLA that I initiated so the idea behind it's doing it was in a lot of ways to create a show where all of the works in the show are instruction based and at the same time these instructions should be executed by code so that it could run fully automated and every day the show would update itself and it would be a similar show but like all the images would be new and the main inspiration for that show was actually there's a compendium from the 90s i think the the first version is from 93 called the do it compendium by hans-ulrich obrist who is a famous art well icon at this point He's a famous, basically one of the most famous curators in the world, and the idea of the Do It Compendium is basically that it's like this big book of recipes for different artworks in like written form. So they're also instruction based, and every time you do a Do It exhibition, you just pick a handful of the instructions from there and follow them in order to create the art for the show. So basically, it's doing it was like the idea was to make like a fully automated version of it and take it to the digital realm.
0: What is it that you like so much about the idea of computer-generated art?
1: One of the things that kind of like captivated me very early on was like the element of surprise of working with code is because even if you have a plan... Things are always going to turn out slightly different due to the, you know, nature of writing code and due to bugs and errors. So there's always like a certain element of surprise that is inherently in that process, which I appreciated. it. So if, if you look at the history of like instruction-based art, you know, that goes a little bit earlier than computer-generated art. A lot of the initial approaches to that were to find some form of objectivity or remove personal bias from a work so that's kind of like the way John Cage and similar artists at the time or even Duchamp felt about using randomness and chance in their work and I think what is interesting to me is kind of like to almost take uh, the opposite approach to it to kind of like think about using software randomness and chance in a way that amplifies personal bias and weirdness So I like to almost think of it in a way that I write computer code of things I would do by hand. But then the computer almost like adds like its own weird twist on it and comes up with ideas that I might have come up with eventually. But, you know, it just throws a lot more ideas at me. So I try to think of using computers, code, randomness and chance more as like a collaborator at this point, so that it's almost like bouncing ideas with it on eye level to come up with things that are certainly me, but yeah, I think that's, that's where, that's basically what it is.
0: I think one thing that is particularly humorous, but kind of fits in this pattern of work, is your Twitter bot as well, the Wiener Trump Twitter bot that I was Mm -hmm. looking at, which is essentially like a sausage-looking version of Donald Trump that kind of bends around. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: That was actually a pretty spontaneous project. I think I only spent... I think I built it in a day and the reasoning was the reasoning was actually pretty simple so i created it on inauguration day which was i think a little more than a year i think january 20th 2017 and at the time i was like i kind of wanted to go to one of the some of the demonstrations you know to protest against donald trump at the same time every time i do that i'm a little worried about getting arrested because that would basically mean i would have i would jeopardize my visa so in the end i decided all right, I'm not going to go protest, but I'm going to spend the day creating something, you know, my own form of protest, which ended up being Wiener Trump. The idea was to, well, I quickly basically decided to make it a Twitter bot simply because Donald Trump is um, so fond of Twitter himself so my idea was basically to create a robot that would tweet to him on a daily basis. Yeah, the rest almost fell in place. (laughs) The technology or just knowing how to draw things in code or in in vector graphics simply definitely informs how you start thinking about drawing as well, so it definitely goes both ways. While I sketch I probably subconsciously, if, if I know i want to express it in code later i probably subconsciously take into account what might be simpler to code later on but in 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 the case of The Trump drawings. I think I just made the initial sketches and tried to keep them simple enough for me so that I had a feeling it would be attainable to create in a day. And that's what happened. And then kind of like the idea was that for me, the idea was basically that he would tweet this image of this kind of like almost like sausage that would bend over like the laws of physics didn't apply to it. Because in a lot of ways, that's what what it feels like seeing Donald Trump make politics, you know, like he just seems to bend into, into different... Different directions almost on a daily basis whatever makes sense on that particular day so I think that, that was kind of like the core idea for the visual thing at, at the same time one of my favorite representations of dictators is the Charlie Chaplin the dictator is that the name so so I, I guess those were like the two visual influences to create the Wiener Trump drawings and then at the same idea I just randomly generated the tweets uh, to be almost like noise so that it's almost just like white noise because that's what I feel what i feel his tweets are
0: oh, i did wonder about the language being used there when i went on there earlier tragically suggested translating from turkish
1: yeah so it does it's it's interesting it is no language it's just like a very simple script that generates like these words and tokens that follows very basic rules and then it just picks like the most popular tag of the day that it sometimes integrates into the tweet as like a hint to donald trump's nature and having no spine and the sausage <laughs> definitely very interested in blockchain from like a technological standpoint. I think if I had to pick between machine learning and blockchain, I think blockchain is definitely the more interesting topic to me. It definitely feels to me like the biggest technological revolution since the internet. I feel like it opened another door to almost to like the next dimension of like computing. It basically manages itself. It's decentralized. So there's a lot of great ideas that I feel that the internet tried to be that actually the blockchain managed to do from a technological standpoint i'm i'm very interested in it in practice am i interested in cryptocurrencies no, or not really. <laughs> I mean, I follow it, but I, I, I try not to make my life about money more than it has to be. So I, I get that blockchain makes a lot of sense for currencies in some ways, but I'm not excited about any form of trading. I think there's a lot of potential for blockchain technology to turn into something great and interesting. Most of the applications I've seen, I don't really care for them that much. The main concepts that I think are interesting about about blockchain is that it's self-validating in a way. The decentralized nature that you don't have to trust one big company or entity, you know, not screwing you over, basically. I think that's basically core dem- democracy right there, right? In the, on the most basic level. So I think that that's very interesting to me. And the other one is like the proof of work or the, the reward that basically you are validating what is happening in, in inside that blockchain and you get something as a reward right now in, in terms of like Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. That is basically money. <laughs> But I think there's a lot of possibilities, especially, you know, I, I usually look at it from like an art perspective. So I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities there. If basically the blockchain would only use part of the computing power for verification of the blockchain and the other part for some form of cloud computing that could serve something good. I don't know what that would be right now, but there's, you know, infinite possibilities. So I think in that regard, Ethereum is like very interesting because it basically tries to do adjust that and what what if the reward wasn't money but you know what what if what if you would actually get a piece of art so from an artistic standpoint those are kind of like questions that i think are interesting what could the reward be beyond money what could it be used for so i think there's a lot of potential there of ways the project was actually me familiarizing myself with how blockchain works. I think around a year ago, I started to kind of like read a little bit more about how blockchain technology and Bitcoin specifically works. The idea for the block bills, or I wanted to find a way of representation that would kind of like put the idea of one block in the blockchain into a more recognizable form related to money. So that was kind of like the starting point. So block bills ended up being 64 individual banknotes. Each of them represents one block in the blockchain. And I picked a random block that was mined earlier in 2017 and just like turned the 64 following blocks into one block bill each. And in a lot of ways, I guess you could say that Blockbills is a data visualization project to a certain degree. So it takes various data from the actual Bitcoin blockchain block and puts it on the bill and uses the data in the block itself to seed the random numbers, etc. So that when you feed my program or the program that generates the Blockbills the same data twice, it will give you the same image.
0: The outcome essentially is... It looks like a, a set of banknotes, which are all mm-hmm. continually changing based on number of transactions that I, I go through that block.
1: Yeah. So visually, I tried to find a form that would emphasize the blockiness visually. Play with the idea of like blocks. So that's why I tr- ended up choosing like this kind of low-res grid that all of the things that were drawn on each node would kind of like use as like their underlying visual grid. And then there's like certain rules that if the transaction volume of that current block is bigger than the, the average of all of the blocks I used, it was, would look a little bit more colorful. Then I basically turned the actual hushes like the previous hush to the previous block and the current hush into my own visual representation that is on each bill, and I think another thing that I added on there is the Unix timestamp of when the actual block was mined. So in the end, the block bills are, if you look at them purely from a drawing perspective, they're they're random in a lot of ways. Random drawings, similar to how most of my other drawings are randomly generated, with the main difference that the block bills use the data from the actual Bitcoin block to seed the random numbers and actually the data influences the decision-making of the program in a way.
0: Where you started from that, you talked about how you wanted to essentially create a piece of art that helps explain a piece of technology. Talking about my IBM work here. IBM's history throughout the 50s and 60s, a lot of the work they were doing, they were engaging with artists to help explain why computers weren't so scary. They weren't these big machines locked away in rooms that no one ever sees but actually have an opportunity to kind of work with humans and in that way artists were being engaged to do exactly the same thing you were talking about right how can you explain concepts through art and how can you explain technology in particular which is very complicated what's your feeling around around that the art to educate
1: I think it's definitely something that artists in general tend to be good at. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's one of my main interests. So with the block bills I think it's almost more like I wanted to educate myself. Artists can certainly help making concepts like blockchain, big data, internet more understandable. And I think, as you mentioned, companies like IBM or Bell Labs, there's like a long history of like different companies having while well, working with artists, specifically new media artists, so that has shown successful and fruitful collaborations, specifically with technologies that weren't very available at the time. So a lot of the early video art that is like computer generated could only be created in. Collaborations of artists with big companies that had those technologies available. I think there definitely could be more of that. There certainly are companies that still do that in a way, but I feel like it's it's not that much anymore which the reasoning might also be that a lot of technologies simply are a lot more available these days but specifically with machine learning where there's still like a huge overhead of hardware that you need in order to train like a certain machine learning algorithm so I think in that regard there could be definitely more and I think the only company I'm aware of that does a little bit of that is Google but they I mean they of course have a huge interest on their own in in doing so.
0: So that was Matthias Dorfelt. If you're interested in finding out more about his work, you can find him online. His portfolio site is mocafolio.de. That's M-O-K-A-F-O-L-I-O ode And you find out more about his work, including the wonderful block bills piece that he won the Digital Art Prize for. So thank you very much, Matthias, for being part of this episode also if you're interested in blockchain we've covered that topic on a couple of other episodes before there is one on blockchain and art as well where i interviewed a blockchain specialist called sean miller so i'd encourage you to check out that it's one of our previous episodes now we also have some other technique news in june we're doing our next technique event This one's all about selling art online and it's going to be held at the wonderful Cockpit Arts in London. At the moment, tickets are fully sold out, but there is an opportunity to get on the waitlist. If you go to technique.create-hub.com, you can find out all the details there and the sign-up page is on Eventbrite. Otherwise, that's all the time we've got today. Thank you again for listening. I hope you're getting something out of this. But as always, myself and Richard, who conducts some of the interviews in other episodes, as always, we're keen to hear what you think. So if you think we can improve these episodes in any way, or interview different kinds of people about art and technology, then let us know. You can get in touch on Twitter at Technique UK, or through the Create Hub website, that's create. HyphenHub.com. thanks again to those that produced the music for this episode and otherwise we look forward to speaking to you again next month when we'll have a brand new episode thanks again and in the meantime take care
1: This is Carla Rappaport. I'm the director and founder of the Lumen Prize. The Lumen Prize is the Global Award for Digital Art. It was called the world's preeminent digital art prize by the Guardian Culture blog and it aims to raise the understanding, appreciation, and enjoyment of art created with technology globally. Anyone is eligible to enter the Lumen Prize. All you have to do is go to the Lumen Prize website, lumenprize.com, and all the information you need to upload your work and enter is there.
0: Design thinking has exploded into the workplace of the 21st century putting humans at the heart of design, or does it? Isn't it just the post-it note workshops? More importantly though, where did it come from? How did it become such a massive industry and where on earth is it going? Is design thinking what is taught in design schools and can it be used as a philosophy for the future? Find out more as we, Richard Adams and Sam Fry, explore these ideas with experts in the field on our first Technique mini-series about design thinking. Subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode.